turn that one off. <laughs> Glad to see all of you today. It's good to see more and more people being able to come um, to church and gather with us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 this morning. I want to talk to you about the kind of church that God will bless. And we have learned, I've been pastoring now for 20 some odd years, and I've learned over the time that I can... Uh, get online and I can go to a seminar somewhere, I can go to a um, course of teaching about how to grow a church. Anybody can go, but a lot of pastors go to these seminars and go to these uh, places where they can learn marketing strategies about how to bring people into the church. We learn in some of those that you can make the church more user-friendly, make them feel comfortable when they come in, make them uh, feel uh, like this is where they need to belong. So we, we change things in the church to try to fit the, the visitor that comes and uh, finds a, a place to go to church. A lot of these strategies are uh, encouraging pastors to shorten their sermon and to use a drama and multimedia like screens and other types of things, phones and tablets and so forth and so on. And then they also want us to start talking less about sin and more about goodness, less about the blood of Christ that cleanses us, but let's talk more about the feeling that we get from church. And you know what? These strategies work. There's churches all across America, big evangelical churches that apply these strategies, and they've got great numbers of people coming to church. Right? They work. Now, it doesn't mean that it is the, the proper kind of church. It's not the, perhaps the church that God would want to be taking place in these buildings. But this is the church. You people are the church. I want us to read a, another example of church growth that we're going to find in Acts chapter 11. And I want us to see that this church in Acts 11 had great numbers, considerable numbers, large numbers of people were coming to Christ because of the way this church found that growth was best. All right, so let's stand together and read Acts 11, verse 19. We'll start in verse 19. And it says there, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. Your Bible there might say Hellenistic Jews. Preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. 
And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Let's pray. Father, help us to see uh, the church that you want to grow and the church that you will bless. And Father, help us to follow this great example that you've given us this morning. And Lord, let us uh, see you reign here in our church and in our world again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, this church here did not do a demographic study and take marketing strategies to the masses of people living around the church. That's not how they grew their church. No, it tells us right there in verse 21 how they grew their church, and the hand of the Lord was with them. This is a church that God was blessing. This is, should be the aim of our church here at Aaron Springs. Let's discover together what this church at Antioch did. You know, uh, these principles that I'm going to bring out to you today from our text uh, have to deal with numbers. It's not always numbers uh, that are evidence of God blessing a church. Okay, He doesn't always grow a church with numbers because he's blessing it. Right? And it would be a mistake for us to think that God only blesses churches that are growing. Right? We must remember that churches can grow without God. We see that today. Marketing strategies can grow a church. You can, you can do seminars and you can do things and make it user friendly and leave out sin and leave out the blood and you can grow a church. So it's not God blessing it that means it's growing. And it certainly would be a mistake for us to think that uh, we could do uh, church growth without some of these principles that this church has applied in their existence. So, with all that said, let's get to these principles. Number one, God blesses a church where every believer is in the ministry. Now, I'm going to preach to you a minute, okay? God blesses the church where every member is in the ministry. This church is significant to you and I. Let me explain why. This church in Antioch was the first church that really sent out a missionary project or program to Europe. To where your ancestors started. If it was not for this church at Antioch sending those missionaries into Europe... You may not be seated here today as a believer in Christ. You may be of some other religion or some other form of worship. But this church is valuable to us. It was the first church to send missionaries into Europe. It's important that we, that we see that and understand that this church was not started by any of the apostles. This church was not started by a pastor. This church was not started by even missionaries this church was started by somebody 
who was saved and believed in Jesus Christ and he or she told somebody else. How do I know that? Look in verse 20 with me again. Or let's start over in verse 19. So when those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. Now what is he talking about? Remember Stephen was martyred for his faith and the Romans and the Jews began to persecute the Christians and they had to scatter for their life. When that took place, let's read on. Some made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. They weren't preachers. They weren't missionaries. They were on the run for their life. And they came into the city of Antioch and they just began to share what they knew about Jesus with people they met on the street, with people they bought food from, with people they rented a home from, with people they worked with, whatever the case may be. That's how this church in Antioch started. Isn't it interesting that God didn't tell us their names? He told us where they're from, Cyprus and Cyrene, these men who spoke Jesus to everybody, but he didn't tell us their names. I wonder why God left their name out. Here's what I think. I think he left their name out so that you and I wouldn't put them on a pedestal. And we wouldn't say, oh, I couldn't do what so-and-so did. He's heroic, and I'm not that way. I couldn't go around speaking Jesus to everybody I meet like those guys did because, because we're just not allowed to do that here. Or maybe I don't know enough. Or maybe it's just that I don't really care enough. You see, God didn't tell us their names for a reason. Because he wanted you to know that they were simply common men like you and I living in a world and they just took time to tell people about Jesus. That's how the church at Antioch got started. Isn't that a great picture of what God would want us to do today as well? Telling people about the gift given from God the Father to us, his beloved son. God blessed this church. Why? Because these men were exercising their gifts, right? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. Now this I say, those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. And those who sow bountifully will also reap bountifully. God's not talking about wheat seed or soybeans or alfalfa, is he? He's talking about souls. And he says, you guys who sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You who sow generously, you will reap generously. And so God is challenging us there, isn't he not? Most of the church oftentimes mistakens the fact of the ministry of the church is left to the staff of the church. I'm going to tell you something this morning. If you feel that way and you're leaving the ministry of this church to me and to Levi 
then the ministry of this church is going to suffer greatly because two men cannot do the work of this church. God doesn't call staff members to do the work. God calls ministers to teach the church how to do the work. Amen? So you have to understand, God blesses a church where every believer is a minister in his church. That's how it works. When the church fulfills its obligation to share the gospel around where they live, then the church will be blessed by God and the church will grow. Point number one. Point number two, God blesses a church where Jesus is proclaimed. Look in verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Over 500,000 people lived in Antioch at that time. Antioch was a melting pot of culture and race. Kind of like the United States, isn't it? We gathered people from all over the world to come and live in this land, in this great land. And so now we're experiencing uh, the results of that. And so what happened in Antioch, because it was not a Christian place, because it was a pagan society worshiping false gods, they became very immoral. And there was temple prostitution to the Greek gods, and there was a lot of immorality. In fact, Rome spoke of Antioch, and it said, some of the writers of Rome said, Rome is being corrupted because of the immorality found in Antioch. So Antioch was a terrible place to live morally all right it was a great place to find whatever you needed whenever you needed it it had many avenues to all roads of the world all places to go people could get anything they wanted in antioch and it became a very immoral place what a strange place for god to plant a church and not use a missionary or an apostle or even a preacher to go there God simply started it with a group of men who told others about Jesus saving them. The simple message, the message didn't need to be changed, didn't need to be adjusted, didn't need to be watered down. It simply needed to be shared. So here's what happens. Barnabas shows up and he sees the grace of God and he rejoices. Amen. He sees a church beginning to form. He sees people's lives being changed. You know, you cannot see grace. It's kind of like the wind. Jesus used the wind to describe the Spirit of God. We can't see that. The same way we cannot see God's grace, but we do see the evidence of God's grace. Think about this. Wherever the gospel is taken... There is a tremendous impact in the lives of the people. So you cannot see the grace, but you can see the evidence of the grace. Right? And so wherever the gospel's taken, people's lives are changed. And that's a powerful impact and testimony about the gospel of God. 
message could be the same in the jungle of Africa as it could be right up here in Wall Street, New York. The same message can reach those different cultures of people. The same message can reach into the ghetto as it can reach into the palace. The same message of Jesus. The point is this. God says, tell the message and I will bless it. God blessed this church because the members were speaking it. And God blessed the church because they were speaking Jesus. Right? They weren't even necessarily preaching him. They were just telling of Jesus Christ and what he could do. God blesses a church like that. God will bless a church where everyone is welcome. Notice this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Now what's going on here? The church in Jerusalem is saying, hey, there's something happening in Antioch. And we better keep our thumb on it or it could get out of control. We don't really know what's going on up there, but apparently there's some great movement. And we need to make sure that they're doing it correctly. So what do they do? They send Barnabas. They said, Barnabas, go check them out. Keep them straight. Make sure they're not teaching false things. And make sure everything is right in a good old Hunky word, hunky dory. Make sure everything's hunky dory, right? So Barnabas goes, and what does Barnabas find? Barnabas sees the grace of God being exhibited in the lives of the people. And what does Barnabas do? He says right there in verse 23, he rejoiced. Now he probably went there with the intention of setting these guys straight. And curbing some of the things they were doing because of this explosion of people that they heard about. It can't be right. Amen. It couldn't be right for a church to explode like that. So Barnabas goes with the intention of keeping things squeezed in properly. And when he got there, he saw the grace of God. And he rejoiced. Let me ask you a question. When someone walks in your church building and they don't look like you and they're not dressed like you, let's say it's a new convert and he's 20-something years old and he's got long, dirty hair and he's got a ball cap on backwards and he's got holes in his T-shirt that's dirty and his jeans that are filthy. And he's barefoot. And he don't smell like you. And he don't look like you. But he's coming into your church and he sits on your pew. And the music starts and this young man stands up and raises his hands in worship. What do you think of him? Do you grumble a little bit? I wish he'd clean up. I wish he'd put on some good clothes I wish he would do something different or do you rejoice Barnabas went to Antioch a 
place full of immorality and Greek people. He's a Jew. And he went among the Greeks. And what did he do? He rejoiced when he saw different people and different lifestyles and different dress and different things all falling under the authority of the Holy Spirit of God. God blesses a church where everyone is welcome. Amen? Every member is a minister. Everybody's talking about Jesus. Everyone is welcome in that church. Let's go on. Verse, uh, I have a verse I wanted to share with you. Romans chapter 15, Paul writes this. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another in accordance to Jesus Christ. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Rejoice, my friends. Point number four. God blesses the church where grace is the motivator for our faithfulness. You'll go to some churches right here in Aaron or, or, or Lindsay, America, Garvin County. You'll go to a church where they say you need to be following the rules. You're going to have to keep yourself tuned in and saved. You're going to have to walk the line and tow the weight, right, in order to keep saved. Now, there's churches like that. And listen, we need to understand something. You and I understand differently than that it's my love for him that motivates me to be faithful to him it's what he did for me that motivates me to stay connected to him apart from him i can do nothing jesus taught us amen so the motivation for you and i to be faithful is not found in the rule book the motivation for you and i to be close and faithful to our Lord is found in the grace that he's extended me. I didn't deserve that grace. I didn't earn that grace. But he gave it to me. That motivates me to stay with him. Amen? Amen. Uh, God will bless a church where that motivation is the key to our faithfulness. Let me read you what it says in Titus chapter 2. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What teaches me that? Grace teaches me that. It is grace that has appeared, bringing salvation, and it instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's one thing to make a profession of faith. It's another thing to live that out. Anybody can stand up here and say, I believe. In fact, Salvation is, the, is a matter of the heart. It says in Romans, right? It says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is a matter of my heart. But living out 
The Christian life is a matter of determined purpose. Amen? Listen to me now, church. You can say one thing, it's hard to live it out. I can say I'm a Christian, I can say I'm saved. It's difficult to live it out unless I have a goal and a purpose and I am determined to stay on that goal. That's what uh, Luke is writing to us here in the book of Acts. Salvation is a matter of this. I can hear Barnabas saying this. Let me read you what he says. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So Barnabas shows up. He sees God's grace. He understands what's taking place there. He sees the church growing. But he wants to steer it in the godly way. And so he says this. I encourage you to stay faithful to God because of what he has done for you. Therefore, deny yourself. Therefore, let Christ abide in you. Therefore, you abide in him. I'm sure that Barnabas went down a list of things. Because of the love and grace of God, this is why we act this way. This is how we should act. This is what we should do. God blesses a church where our faithfulness is motivated by his grace, not his rule book. Okay? The next point I want you to see is in verse 24. God blesses the church where its members uh, set the example of holiness and faithfulness. Look in verse 24. For he was a good man. Who was a good man? Barnabas, the one teaching them. Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. The name Barnabas translates for you and I into this. The son of encouragement. Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas was a lifter of people. Barnabas was a man of integrity. Barnabas practiced what he preached. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. This is why he was good. The church was growing to the point now of needing help. And so what does Barnabas do? Verse 25 tells us, And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Saul and Barnabas taught the church and lived it in front of them men of holiness and faithfulness setting the example what good does it do for your church to live that life and then one of us go out and one of us try to witness to someone in a peculiar place doing peculiar things what will that man think of the church Right? We have to all set the example of Christ in living a holy life. It destroys testimony. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I don't go to church because of so-and-so. Hey, that's an excuse. I understand that. But oh, so-and-so must have done something instead of loving him or forgiving him. Or helping him 
He must have done something to bend that guy the wrong way. That's where we have to be careful. That's where we have to live a life of holiness and faithfulness before our society that we are among. All right? God blesses a church where its members, its believers set examples of holiness and faithfulness. Number six, two more. Bear with me. God blesses the church where his word is being taught. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for an entire year. And they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. This is where we read that the Christians were first called Christians. Now, um, what does that word mean? Well, it means Christ men. So somebody walking down the street of Antioch. Saw a couple of old boys standing on the corner, and they had a small crowd of people around them, and they were talking about this man named Christos, which would be the Greek word for Christ. And one said to the other, hit him in the elbow, and said, Hey, who are these guys? And he said, Oh, I've heard about them. Those are the followers of some guy named Christos. And then another one would say, Yeah, those are Christ men. And then they got the nickname Christian meaning Christ men. You know that word Christian? Anybody want to shout out a guess how many times you find that word Christian in the Bible? Shout out a number. Three. Three times. Right here you find it. You find it in Acts chapter 26 where Agrippa says to Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. So you find it here in Acts 26, and you find it in 1 Peter 4, where Peter says, Do not be ashamed of the suffering you're enduring for being a Christian. Three times in the Bible we find the word Christian, Christ men. Wouldn't it be a great compliment today for somebody to call you a Christian? That you represent Christ you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It would be a great compliment for us. It's becoming less and less common because now Christians are being targeted and we really would rather dodge that persecution and so we just kind of lay low under the name Christian. We don't go around boasting about it. We don't want to wear our big t-shirts anywhere talking about Christ. We just kind of dodge the issue but these men were. They were standing on the corner speaking to small groups of people representing Jesus Christ. And they were known and classified as Christian. What a great example for you and I to follow. What is the point of that? The point is God blesses a church where his word is being taught. Well, what happens when his word is being taught? Lives are changed because of that. When you go to Sunday school, which... Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. When you go to Sunday school or you come to church and hear a message or you read and study, study your Bible at home yourself, it is not for the purpose of you channeling information into your soul, spirit, and body. It is for the purpose of changing you. This is what the Bible is for. It's not so that I can gain knowledge about the Bible. It is so that the Bible... God's word would change my thinking. It would change my speech. It would change my dress. It would change the way uh, I think, my attitude, my character, my actions, my feelings. 
And what happens is people will notice that. That's the idea of Bible study, is that you are changed by it so that others would notice this change and be curious about it, and then you have the opportunity to testify and tell them of the great news of Jesus Christ. God will bless his word where his word is taught. Amen? And practiced. So God blesses a church where everyone is a minister. God blesses a church where Jesus is proclaimed. God blesses a church where all are welcome. God blesses a church where grace is our motivation for faithfulness. God blesses a church where we all set the example of holiness and faithfulness. God blesses a church where his word is taught. The last one, God blesses a church where the believers are devoted to giving. Look in verse 27. Now at this time there were some prophets who came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. I want you to notice something. There were no posters uh, around their buildings. They had a goal of a number on it like we do in ours. We have a goal of a new offering out here in our our. Uh, Foyer with a goal for the Annie Armstrong offering or the, or the uh, uh, what was it? Lottie. Lottie Moon, thank you. Or, or Easter offering or summer offering. Hey, we always are asked to give money. But this church wasn't pressured. They just said there's a need. There was not a program. There were not envelopes in your bulletins to put money in. They just said there's a need. And guess what? The church stood up and met the need. It says the disciples did this. The preacher didn't push it. The deacons didn't push it. Nobody pushed it. Just the disciples stood up and met the need. God will bless a generous church. God will bless a church that gives. I'm not saying you don't. Listen, many of you work at that clothes closet down there. Many of you give to that close closet. We have a benevolence fund here. We reach out to people from this church all of the time. Amen. So I'm telling you that God will bless a church like that. But don't wait for the promotions or don't wait for pressure from the preacher or deacons. Don't wait for that. Just step up and meet the needs of the people that you find in your life. God will bless them. What a great example of a church for you and I to follow. Every believer is in ministry. Jesus is lifted up in that church. All are welcome. Grace is our motivation. The believers live examples of holiness and faithfulness. And generosity overwhelms the society of a good and blessed church by God. Amen. I want you to think about that today. I want us to be have that goal in ourselves of this kind of a church. That we can be by fulfilling these little seven principles we found in the scriptures right here. He's already ahead of us, right? At this time, let's stand together. Stephen's going to come and, and play a, a song softly for us. 
uh, invitation. I pray that you are blessed right now with God's presence in your life. By the way, I, I shared with you last week about a couple of fellas that I needed to go see. Okay. And the other one doesn't believe in God. I want you to pray for him. His name is Larry. Larry. He doesn't believe in God, but he said I could come back. So pray for Larry that he would come to know Christ. Pray for Jack today. Amen. Let's sing, Stephen.